Hey everybody, this is Alex Merced from alexmerced.com. In this episode, this is actually going to be a really special episode because this is the first interview that I've done in a long, long time. Um, it might be even over a year. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, this will be on the Bitcoin Blockchain Crypto Podcast. This will be on the Alex Merced cast. Uh, this will be on the Web Development 101 podcast because it has to do with technology. It has to deal with disruptive technology and it has to do with blockchain. So all these shows, you guys are going to love this content. Um, now, who I'm here with is with David from Coro Global. Uh, David, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, Alex, thank you for having me. And uh, and pleasure to be uh, your first guest as you uh, coming back on the on the airwaves. Uh, total honor to be with you here today. So yeah, for your, your listeners out there, my name is David Dorr. I'm the uh, CEO and founder of Coral Global. And we are a, uh, a fintech company in the space uh, dealing with crypto and also dealing with gold. My, uh, my background is 25 plus years in global capital markets as a, uh, as a trader, as well as working in financial technology. Uh, my first fintech business was a company called Life Exchange, which was an electronic trading platform for uh, Wall Street banks to be able to trade uh, blocks of life insurance policies. That is super cool. Again, uh, finance is definitely a, a topic that is close to my heart. And you guys are uh, releasing or have released this Coro, uh, uh, the Coro mobile app. And basically, this is, as far as I understand, allows people to transact in physical gold uh, as easily as they could transact with pretty much any other medium, uh, making uh, that more viable than ever. Now, the question is, there in the past have been like, other apps, I remember like there was like gold money several years ago mm -hmm. that kind of did try to do some, something similar. So what makes the Coro app um, different when it comes to making gold a medium of payments? And uh, how do people get involved? Yeah. So super question. The the idea behind Coro is we don't claim any originality on the idea. The the idea that gold is money is is been tested for thousands of years. The idea that we're we're living more and more daily in a digital environment and that we need to be able to transfer value and use money in, in a digital marketplace is well known. And there's a lot of approaches to that. What we feel that we bring to the table with Coro is the right technology to make this happen, as well as the right experience and background to understand the regulatory landscape. So some of the the predecessor companies that have been in the space. There was one called eMoney, which was uh, was gold. And unfortunately, that operator had been operating without a, a money transmission license. So to move money around the world, or even just domestically in the United States, is a heavily regulated business because there are uh, a lot of bad guys out there. And so there's a, a longstanding framework uh, and set of legislation and requirements for how to do that. So we wanted to bring all that together and giving people peace of mind that, hey, they could use gold as easily as they would any other digital currency. So whether you're looking at dollars or Bitcoin, um, we just found a way to do it a whole hell of a lot better. And we spent the last three and a half years doing that. We launched our product at the end of last year. Um, we're now active in approximately 32 states and uh, plus DC and Puerto Rico. And we'll soon be international licenses in, in Mexico and Canada for, for international transfers. Okay, uh, very awesome. And okay, so now on that, on the regulatory framework side, like you said, mm -hmm. you have to get like a money transmission license. Is that the only licenses or are there other licenses you have to get to kind of have this operate in a lot of parts of, of let's say, particularly the states? Um, mm -hmm. 
what other sort of um, hurdles do you have to jump over to, to, to do a business like this? Yeah, so there's effectively, if, if you're moving money around, there's basically two types of licenses. And for the most part, they're the same in almost every country around the world. So most people would be familiar with banks, right? We'll start there. So, so banks is something familiar. Naturally, banks are licensed all over the globe. So banks have the ability to accept deposits, allow you to move money, as well as to be able to make loans. So their regulatory framework is the most in, intense. Just one step below that, if you're not extending loans, and you're just transmitting money, that's called a money transmission license. And, and that's a one that would be familiar to everybody. A household name would be Western Union. Western Union is probably the, the most familiar money transmitter out there. PayPal would be a more modern uh, money transmitter that a lot of people would be uh, familiar with. So that's how we're regulated. Now, in the United States, that regulatory framework is both federal and at the state level. So we possess a less license underneath the US Department of Treasury as a money services business, which is basically synonymous with being a money transmitter. And at the state level, they call them MTLs or money transmission licenses. So for each state that we operate and offer our services, uh, we're required to have uh, one of those licenses. Okay, awesome. And then I imagine like a big part of the licensing process is like probably them like taking a look at technology, vetting the technology for like things like custody, things like that. Yeah. And I remember like, uh, I think that was like sort of like a big thing that you guys are bringing to the table that you guys are using um, a decentralized ledger, a blockchain type thing to track a lot of this stuff. Um, can uh, talk a little bit to, to that and sort of the technological mm -hmm. side of what uh, of your platform? Yeah, so this is this is where we start to kind of look beneath the hood. And when we get into these deeper layers of the way that Coro is constructed, you're going to start to appreciate the way that we built the business. So there's been a, a whole bunch of attention on crypto, right? But I want to I want to use terms that help everybody out here. Crypto is really shorthand for cryptography. We tend to think of it in 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 all the modern media right now as cryptocurrencies. But the shorthand term for crypto is cryptography. And the reason there's so much chatter about it is because cryptographic networks or networks that are using elements of cryptography such as blockchain networks like Bitcoin and Ethereum um, is kind of all the rage. But I want to take a step back and, and really look at the what we believe is the real value of blockchain networks and, and the use of cryptography. So when it comes to blockchain networks, that's what's called a distributed ledger technology. And I'm kind of starting at the basics for listeners because a lot of people may be kind of dabbling in the market or completely unfamiliar, and this terminology is useful. So blockchain is a type of distributed ledger technology. Now, why should anybody care that it exists? What's the big deal? What's the hype? We're hearing about billions of dollars from Silicon Valley to Wall Street to Shanghai is going into this sector. What is so amazing about this? Well. First of all, what it is, is it's, a, it's an extension of the spreadsheet, is how we look at it. Now, people would tell you that it can do all these amazing things, and, and I think a lot of that's overhyped. But let's think about in our daily lives, and I work in the financial sector, so let's just think about a Microsoft Excel sheet. That's an incredibly amazing invention. To be able to record things, you can create formulas, um, you can track stuff. Spreadsheet's just an incredible, incredible leap forward for mankind um, by being able to have that. Now, over the last 10 years, we've been able to take a Microsoft spreadsheet and we can now use something like, let's say, Google Sheets, which is effectively a spreadsheet that's in the cloud. And everybody, I presume all your listeners are familiar with the cloud. If you drop your phone in the gutter, you gotta go buy a new phone, 
you haven't lost all the baby photos and family photos and personal documents because it's stored up in the cloud by Google, Amazon, Microsoft, or, or whoever. So now you have a spreadsheet that can live in the cloud, thanks to Google Sheets. As we move forward, the ability of these distributed ledgers is it's like the cloud on steroids. So you could keep this ledger in a whole bunch of places, not just up in a big data center, but you might store that on, you know, somebody's home computer in, uh, in China or someplace else around the globe. And thanks to advancements in cryptography, you'd be able to store that information safely and securely. So what we're really talking about is resilience in our data. That's what it comes down to is resilience in our data. Well, I think that anybody would appreciate that resilience in financial market data is valuable. That's, that's useful, like knowing that our financial systems are backed up, that they're accurate, that they're auditable, uh, serves everybody's uh, needs. Now, so we looked at what was taking place over the last 10 years. So our, our journey, and, and when I say ours, my brother and I, he's a co-founder of the firm, we started looking at Bitcoin when it came out 10 years ago. And what we concluded rather quickly was that, wow, this is an amazing invention, but it's really just a good first draft. It's too slow. It's not as cyber secure as people think. The other things that you hear about in the media, it was obvious from very early on that it would be energy intense, which is not a good framework for running a, a ledger system. But we did appreciate the, the, the innovation. The innovation is significant and we don't want to take credit away from that. So we started looking at that and we said, well, this could lead to the path of laying down a new set of financial rails. And this is needed because payments, whether domestically or globally, they're just slow. So this idea of kind of moving our payments into the cloud on steroids, where there's resiliency, better tracking, ideally better speed, along with that cryptography, keeping the data secure, you're going to have new financial networks. And that was our view. And that's exactly what took place. So over the years, we saw that lead. There was a big development with uh, Hyperledger, which was the first tokenless uh, blockchain. And then there evolved the second branch of distributed ledger technology. So blockchain is just one branch, but there evolved the second branch, which is called directed acyclic graph. And we use a very particular form of that, which is called Hashgraph. And Hashgraph is just an extraordinary, extraordinary invention invented by as a, a consensus algorithm invented by Dr. Lehman Baird and patented, patented by him and his, uh, his partner, Mance Harmon, both brilliant computer scientists. And it resolves a lot of the energy issues. There's no mining. Um, it resolves a lot of the, uh, the cybersecurity issues. It's asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerant, resolves the speed issues. It's up to 500,000 transactions per second, whereas Bitcoin is about three. So, and last but not least, it also proved to be able to be 100% in reaching consensus amongst those distributed databases. And so we chose that. We said, well, now this is where things get interesting because if we take that as our rails and we use that to track physical gold and we also embrace that, hey, it's a requirement that we are regulated, you can now create a payment network that's modern, safe, very fast, and allows you to use gold or also on our system, we allow you to use fiat currencies like dollars and you can use that in real time um, much better than you would through through any other tool that currently exists. So that that's 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 our background on that. Okay, that's very cool. So that's Hashgraph. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And um, let me see if I have any particular questions on that. Like, 
like is that like a, something that's is that a currently like an open ledger that anyone can use or is that a ledger that like only certain partners can use like um sort of like for those who are like web developers or looking to get into development in the audience like is that something mm -hmm. they can go and like learn about and start developing with now absolutely that's a good that's a good technical question uh because a lot of people don't realize the choices when setting up a DLT network. And this, by the way, is applicable for a lot of blockchain and a lot of directed acyclic graph. So what, what we're talking about is really the heart of your question is, is it a private permission network or is it a public permissionless network? All right, Bitcoin's probably the most famous public permissionless. We could all go get on it if we, if we so chose. Um, the way that Hashgraph works is it has both options. Now we chose to, to maintain a um, a more integrated security posture. We chose to do it on a private permission basis because we believe that regulators are moving in the direction where they won't be comfortable allowing financial institutions like ourselves to just simply allow any person to host a node with the data. Now, they may change that view in the future, but we, we think that that is, the, is gonna be the, the tendency. So we, we license the technology, it's patented technology, we license it and we run a private permission network, which means that not just anybody can come on it, they have to have our permission. And that gives us a, an additional layer to make sure that you know it's a trusted party and we're more conscientious about who's on it. They also run, it's called Hedera Hashgraph, you can go to the site, anybody can learn information there, um, is the public permissionless network. And there's tons of cool stuff going on there. There's all sorts of projects. There's, you can download the developer kits and, and work with it. Um, and what they do to add an additional security layer, since it is public permissionless, they also add a proof of work where you have the uh, tokens. So it does have a token that goes along with the public network. Whereas in our network, it's, it's tokenless because it's private permissionless. And that again is something else that for, for our personal commercial needs, uh, suits is better. So long-winded way of saying it, it has both. And, and there's there's great use cases for, for both types. Okay, super cool. I, I'm, 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 I, that's, that, that definitely uh, piques all sorts of uh, curiosities. Um, really cool. Now, and then far as like dealing, dealing with this like newer technology and then making the case to regulators like that, that, that this is um, the way and that they, sh they, sh they should grant you the, like the licensing necessary. How's, how's that interaction been going? It's it's pretty good. What what we're seeing is that there's a uh, there's a a trend, especially because the the popularity with crypto right now is that regulators are really eager to understand it, and it's a steep learning curve. I mean, for anybody in the space, whether you're at the programming level, um, a retail trader, or a regulator, it's got a steep learning curve because there is a lot of hype. There's a whole bunch of hype. There's a lot of fraud, which I'm sure we'll touch on on later. Um, and regulators are rightfully concerned about that. I mean, look, you and I are both libertarian guys. So, you, you know, dealing with regulators is, 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 is not, uh, not normally a pleasurable experience. They tend to overregulate things and, and free markets don't sort themselves out. That being said, um, I really tip my hat to, to regulators. My last business was heavily regulated and it was a very lengthy process. In this, regulators are very engaging. They're trying to learn. So that's nice that you know, we have the opportunity to educate them, explain how we do things, help them see the market maybe a little bit clearer um, from the way that others are presenting it to them and try and give them just kind of, here, here's a neutral foundation so you can kind of pick pieces apart. Um, and that's that's been a nice experience for us. 
that is really cool that is really cool um now if someone were to download the app right now like what, mm-hmm. how would they get started like what would be like the first thing they do and um some uh, some of the any any cool extra bonus features on the app etc yeah so the, the way the app works is it's it's designed to be extremely user-friendly because it's designed for the whole population so whether somebody's got a strong tech background or they've never used any type of financial app or done even online banking, um, everybody will find the experience user-friendly. What happens is you can download the app either from the Google Play Store or the, uh, or the Apple Store. And the first thing that happens is that you're queued up to go through our compliance. And all the compliance is online, right on the phone. It's very simple. You'll scan your driver's license and go through. And sometimes people ask us, they're like, oh, you know, I'm not comfortable giving you, you know, my driver's license. And I remind them, hey, look, we are effectively a virtual financial institution. <laughs> it's just like if you went in and, and wanted to open an account at the bank, we are required and obligated to identify you, not just for, for, for your needs, but also to protect the network. So we have very strict obligations on that. It's a painless process. People are able to onboard and go through the compliance, usually in a matter of minutes. And then you're presented and you can go into the app. Now, from there, you're able to connect your, your bank account. So we're, we're wired into the, the entire U.S. banking system. Um, there's very, very few banks that, you know, you can't connect. Maybe some really tiny credit union or something you might not uh, be able to connect in. But for the most part, we're probably covered by 95% of the banks in the U.S. You're able to connect that, fund your account. And so now your core account's got dollars in it. In real example, let's say you put $2,000 in. And you're looking at gold prices and gold's trading around 1800 And you say, you know what, I'd like to buy an ounce of gold. So you can click a button and buy gold right there. Whether you buy one ounce or you buy $2 worth, you know, which is, you know, a fraction, a fraction of a gram, you can buy however little or as much as you want right there in the app. And it's like having a multi-currency account. So you'll see your dollar balance and you'll see your XAU balance. And for those that are new to this, XAU is the currency code for gold. We didn't invent that. Again, this isn't a token or us trying to create some sort of crypto thing. That, that is the currency code for gold where one XAU represents uh, one troy ounce. And then from there, just kind of the final piece of this is that you're able to then send that on. So you can send and receive from the app. It's not only the ability to go back and forth between dollars and gold, and soon you'll be able to also include Mexican pesos, Canadian dollars as well, so you have all those options. But you can send those around. So if you want to send dollars to somebody, receive dollars, or send gold and receive gold, you're able to do all of that in the app with a click of a button. And all that happens in real time, thanks to that you know, that magic of the the hash graph rails that we've we've built out. Cool. And um, like, is there like what's the is there a fee structure? Like, do you, I pay a fee mm-hmm. when I do that conversion from dollar to gold? Is there mm-hmm. a, another? Is there a separate fee for when I transfer money from you know from let's say I, I send ten XAU to my mom? Um, uh-huh. Like with that, um, how does that work? And then. And how would that be positioned sort of like compared to other alternatives for like transferring gold wise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so the way that it works right now, you're, you're exactly right. The way that we make money mm-hmm. is very straightforward. So there's four elements of our business model that are, that are really simplified for how we earn. We treat the, the US dollar XAU exchange rate as any other currency pair. So when you go from dollars to gold or gold to dollars, um, we earn part of that exchange rate spread and we charge 50 basis points for that. Okay. Now, what's nice is that for our customers, it's it's always 100% allocated gold. 
whether you're buying a dollar's worth, like I said, or a million dollars worth, you're getting wholesale gold rates. So we, we have rates that, you know, we challenge customers to, to find a better rate anywhere in the globe. Um, and to be able to click that from the convenience of your pocket, we've lowered the cost of being able to acquire, buy and sell gold. And that's important. Then as far as uh, being able to send it, right now we permit our customers to send dollars in gold or receive them. Right now we provide that free. In the future, there will be a fee associated with that because again, we are moving around and, and allocating real physical gold uh, for customers. Um, so we will charge a fee for that in the future, but right now that's, that's complimentary for our customers. There's also another fee. Um, there is a real, because we are dealing with the storage and independent custody of, of this physical gold, there's also a fee for storing it, which we charge 50 basis points annualized. And to, to make that convenient for customers, we calculate that on a, on a daily basis. So it's not if they had gold in their account at the beginning of the month and then they sold half of that off or transferred it to somebody else in the middle of the month, they're not going to be hit with additional storage fees. It's only based on exactly what's in their account at, at all times. Um, and again, that's cheaper than, you know, if you're going through the, the major gold uh, uh, trusts and other instruments, which really don't give you full access to gold. They give you exposure to gold price. That's not the same as having real allocated gold in your name. Got it. If I wanted to get, if I wanted to be delivered to like the physical gold, mm -hmm. what would be sort of the process for that? Yeah, we're going to turn that on. We built the tech for it. Um, there's just, it's a big lift, you know, adding the additional customer service and, and tracking for that. Um, we will turn that on probably towards the end of the summer or early fall. And it'll be as easy as the same thing. You click a button and it will ship directly to your home address. And that will come to you completely FedEx, insured, tracking and everything. So you're fully covered. And surprisingly, it might surprise a lot of uh, people, but it's not terribly expensive to, to ship physical gold around. It's heavy, but it's not the, the prices for doing so are, are, are not bad at all. Um, and we will encourage people to do so, because one of the biggest things is that if you're holding gold, there's kind of been this um, there's this kind of fetish with the virtual reality right now that everybody wants everything digital and, and we're kind of forgetting what what exists in real life. And while we're honored that, you know, people entrust us to custody, oversee the custody of their gold and move it around it's still always a great idea. Just like it would be good to keep cash on hand in case of a hurricane or anything else, you should always keep some physical with you. And so rolling out that feature and flipping that on is something that we're excited to, uh, to add to the benefits of, of being able to use Coro. And then ultimately, it's a much, much harder challenge, this part we have not built. Um, but a bigger challenge is in the future, you'll be able to also deposit gold. Now, this might surprise people. At first glance, people would say, well, well, why would it be easy to withdraw it, but more difficult to deposit it? And, and here's the reason why. When, when a customer buys gold through Coro, we're dealing with full-blown, we're dealing with mints, the, you know, the U.S. mint, the Canadian mint, uh, real deal gold dealers. There's a full chain of custody, so we know the integrity of that precious, those precious metals. So when you withdraw it, we know that if you withdraw a, a gold kilo bar, we know, you, you know, and we know that you're getting a full gold kilobar. For people to deposit gold in, we really don't have any choice other than to melt it all the way down and then credit it to the account. Because there's been so many scams, there's gold bars uh, that have been found filled with tungsten and, and everything else. So to maintain the integrity um, of the market and, and for our customers, depositing is a, is a much, much bigger challenge than, uh, than withdrawing. But withdrawing will be coming soon. Got it. Okay, cool. I, I, I never, 
never really thought about those those logistical issues. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. Um, now is is this going to? I, I know you guys mentioned a few other like foreign currencies that you might be able to do custody within the app. Um, yeah. Is there is will that uh, eventually extend to like other metals as well, like 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 silver or? Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. 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 Yeah. So what we look at is kind of our the 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 circle that we stay within is you know certainly for the time being we we, we may have different views in the future, but right now um, we want to only use currencies that have a, a an international standards organization currency code. Mm -hmm. So those are created out of Switzerland. That's when you look at dollars, USD, euros, EUR. Well, it turns out there's only four things that are not made of paper that actually still have a currency code. And that is gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. So it's very likely that we will turn on and, and, and add the other precious metals. But we'll, we'll stop there. So the precious metals plus fiats. Fiat's very important, obviously, not because we believe in fiat, but because we still all have to use fiat in our daily life. And it's part of the on-ramp, off-ramp to the system. I think this is actually one of the errors that a lot of the crypto exchanges made is that they've found themselves in this bind by not being well regulated or tending to their regulatory obligations to onboard and offboard uh, fiat uh, on off ramps. So we've taken great care to do that. Um, there's also big markets for remittance. Uh, the United States to Mexico is 25 to 40 billion dollars in remittance. And imagine being able to safely just do that from your phone. That, that's a big, 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 big advantage right now. Um, and it's one of the reasons we're really excited to uh, to be working towards uh, Mexico. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we're focused on. And is there a platform for like vendors so that way, like maybe in the future, I could use the Coro app to pay like mm -hmm. my Netflix bill each month or that kind of thing. We we will head that way. Our our rollout. So the way we think about it, it's it's kind of different because what's taking place in fintech is there's a lot of fintech companies that are just focused on these great UIs, mm -hmm. right? And we, we look at it differently. We look at that as that's the easier, sexier piece. The harder piece is building those rails, mm -hmm. building those rails underneath. So we want it, we are dedicated to building modern payment rails that incorporate gold. That, that's, that's really at the heart of what we do. And so ultimately, if we were to look at our company 10 years out from now, we hope to, to be that, that, that logo, that brand that you trust. If you walk into your bank and you know, your bank's sending you know, 10 kilobars of gold, you know, to Europe or, or you're receiving it, you know that it's happening instantly, it's trusted, or you can do it in the app. So um, we see for a rollout, and the reason I kind of just lay that background is because we look at the entire payment ecosystem. And while a lot of people are looking at the vendor side as a very logical step in, you know, when you compete in this space, that's where the most, um, is really where the most competition is because there, it's very crowded there because you have, point of sale operators, mm -hmm. right? You have a lot of people in the e-commerce space and it's big, but what's much bigger than that, which we will go towards first, is the the B2B space. So so Visa estimates business to business payments at 120 trillion total addressable market. That's a huge market. It's like 10x or more what you'd see in just personal uh, spend, B2C. And we see a lot more use cases for that first. So we, we will add the ability to use corporate accounts in next year. So we will turn that feature on as well. And that, there's still tech work we're doing for that. So yeah, that, that, to answer your question, yes, you'll be able to, 
and if you, you know, you run a website or anything else, or you're a personal trainer and you want to be, you know, paid in dollars or gold, right, you know, from Coro, you'll be able to do that. But from a marketing perspective, we'll focus on on more B2B businesses. And I give you an example. I was telling somebody the other day. So we have a uh, a friend of ours, and one of his his clients is a um, sells cars from the United States to Canada, and his family's been in the business for decades. And they move almost a hundred million dollars worth of used cars to Canada every year. And one of their biggest pain points is just that that friction, that cross-border friction going in and out of dollars and Canadian dollars. And there's always delays and payments and somebody's upset or somebody got a wire number wrong. Um, so that's a perfect example of a customer. We can make the, all that pain go away in a blink and make sure that that's real time settled on both sides of the border. Uh, so naturally, we're going to focus on, uh, on on that trajectory. Okay, cool, very cool. Um, what was it? Was I, I just had a really a, a fun question. Um, where did it go? But um, now, oh, the, on the on for like people. Who, so you mentioned that certain things are being sort of built out now by your developers. Now, for mm-hmm. aspiring developers who are looking to get into maybe like the fintech space, like what are some like like either like languages or particular technologies that you would recommend that they learn or that you guys are using um mm-hmm. that that they may be that may be uh something that there's a, that that would be appealing for someone like look looking to be a developer yeah i mean if you're if you're you know python r are, are big in the you know being able to use matlabs is is big stuff if you're coming from the financial space where where i think that there's some some interesting opportunity that's a pretty easy entry point for folks listening and by the way this is a question that my cto could totally mm-hmm. he's way more qualified to answer and, and and give your you know the developers out there listening to this way better feedback so if people have mm-hmm. you know one a more detailed question to this tell them to just you know they can email me after the show and i'll get i'll get direct recommendations from our cto from from my seat as the is having been working in the sector, but not as a developer, where I think there's really big opportunity is in data visualization. Mm-hmm. If you look at it's pretty straightforward to get a certification in Tableau and, uh, you know, uh, the BI product from uh, from Microsoft. There's, we're just, there's so much data, so much data. The, the other field that I think is very interesting and more complicated to enter, um, but a fantastic uh, career path or way to enhance an existing career is cryptography and real cryptography. Because what I find, um, I'm going to use the word disturbing, (laughs) (laughs) is that when when we started on this path um, and looking at the technology out there, we were disturbed that, and to this day, the way that so many people misuse and over promote the security, the cybersecurity of networks. So you have a lot of developers that are working on DLT, block, blockchain or otherwise, but you don't have a lot of cryptographers. I mean, well, th- excuse me, let me reframe that. You do, but the cryptography community is very small and there's tons of career opportunity, DLT and otherwise, to go into cryptography or to, to learn it well enough to, to integrate that. I mean, maybe you don't need to be a cryptographer, but really understanding how cryptography belongs in, in all modern product development, I think is really, really important. 
So those would be the the areas that I would I would recommend people looking at. Okay, super interesting. Um, mm -hmm. And now uh, let's shift gears. I want to hear your sort of your opinions on sort of like the the state because I because you mentioned like a lot of the hype is always like towards like the tokens and the cryptocurrencies yeah. and whatnot. And then recently, like there's been sort of like that retracement where basically you know things kind of went down mm -hmm. a while and they're still kind of kind of all lukewarm at the moment. Like what what are sort of your current like sort of just opinions on the space? I mean, overall, I think that the, I think that the fraud is going to overwhelm the space and crash it. And, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, that's a big statement to, to say something like that. that you know, you're going to crash a multi-billion-dollar market is, is is not to be sensationalist. Um, having been a market participant myself for the pretty much my whole career, and 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 looking for catalysts that crack markets. Because that's what you do when you're a macro guy. You're looking for large-scale things that are going to crash markets or accelerate them, whether it's a pandemic or some systemic event. And and I see the systemic risk in in crypto markets as absolutely being off the charts, truly, truly off the charts. A lot of things that lead to that. I think this is common. Late stages in bubbles. So again, you know, if we were to you know, put on our Austrian economist hats and, you know, look at the uh, Austrian business cycle theory, um, you know, late stage bubbles, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mania. There's a lot of mania and, and, and euphoria about that. And we're certainly seeing that uh, right now. And so people don't do the critical thinking that's necessary to, to, to understand what's going on out there. That's exacerbated by by this, you know, this memes or mem memes, I don't know, I never pronounce this right. I don't know what the proper pronunciation is. Uh, mentality that you see in, in retail trading right now, where just, you know, somebody does a silly post and the market goes wild for it. That's really dangerous. That's a great recipe. So for me as a career trader, that's stuff I love. You know, I, my dorsal fin comes out <laughs> when, I, when I see that, that that's, that's chum in the water. And um, and that's not good. You don't want you don't want guys like me getting positioned on the other side of that, um, because what we see is a is 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 big movements to the downside. So to to simplify that, there's a lot of risk. There's a ton of fraud out there. Part of that is misunderstanding how the technology works, how crypto technology works, um, how Bitcoin doesn't work as advertised. The exchanges don't work as advertised. The exchanges, in my personal opinion, are deeply interlinked with with criminal activity and and i think that there's there's fraud my rough back of the envelope math um estimates that there's there's a good 500 billion plus in real losses in real losses that are upcoming that's a we're talking half a trillion dollars that's a huge number and and to be clear to your audience everybody talks about cryptocurrencies i'm not just talking about loss in market cap because that's a just completely ridiculous term to use that, that we even say market cap about currencies cryptocurrencies is silly you might say money supply that would be more appropriate for a currency but market cap is what belongs to stocks so if i issue to, to break that down for people listening if um if i issue uh, a million tokens the david token and um and i get one of my friends to buy one of those tokens for a hundred dollars just one i've made one transaction at $100 to my buddy, of course, then then effectively the market cap of the David coin is now 100 million. 
well, that doesn't make sense just because I did one transaction at $100. And this is the mentality that's happening out there. So, so just completely erase you know, market cap terminology. When people talk about gains or losses in, in crypto market caps, that's just, a, that's just an abstract, uh, illusory uh, figure. But in real customer losses, my estimate is, is, is hundreds of billions of dollars, 500 billion plus in, in real customer losses. And, uh, and that's gonna sting. Gotcha. And then you mentioned like um, your previous ex uh, experience in markets and trading and whatnot. And you mentioned your first company, uh, Life Exchange. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that because I just remember uh, we discussed this before and it was mm -hmm. a really interesting space. And it's a market that I don't think a lot of people realize that there's this underlying trading going on with like things like life insurance and whatnot. So I just want to kind of paint that picture of what that is. Yeah. So. Uh... So I was a I was a, a death dealer as as they they called it. There's a uh, there's a great uh, Business Week article uh, from during that period when when we were operating and it literally had the Grim Reaper on on the cover. Um, not exactly something that makes uh, would make my folks uh, proud, um, but that's how the market was looked at. So uh, let me kind of break down what it was. It wasn't as gruesome as it as it sounds. Life insurance is a giant market. It's a multi trillion dollar market. And just within the United States, it's, it's massive. And what most people don't know is the uh, life insurance that you have is it's an asset. It's yours. It is like a piece of property. You have the right to keep it. And what developed 20 years ago was not only do you have the right to sell it, but the markets developed the ability to sell it, a place to sell it. And, and the reason for that is because normally with life insurance, if you have a life insurance policy, let's use a real example. You're 70 years old, your kids are grown, you're retired. You, you don't need the same life insurance coverage you might've had as a 40 year old working and protecting your family, right? You know, high risk people are when you're in your thirties and forties and you're growing a family, you need life insurance because if something happens to you or, or you know, your significant other, you're usually the breadwinners for the family. So it's a very outsized risk and that's why people buy life insurance. But when you get older, the kids have left, you're retired, you don't need that same kind of coverage. And so what traditionally happens is most people just stop paying the premiums and they let the life insurance policy go. Or depending on the type of product, uh, there's a lot of policies like universal life policies where there's a cash component that you might've been growing inside there. So a lot of life insurance products kind of double and look like an investment product in, inside. And in that situation, you you do what's called a a surrender to the carrier and they write you a check for what so when surrendering a policy that's that's pretty much your only option so you're either just letting it go and getting zero or you're surrendering it and getting a small uh cash payout but with a secondary market you could actually sell that on to another financial institution. Very often, that would even be an insurer or reinsurer. And what they would do is they would net present value that policy and pay you a lump sum. And then they would continue to pay the premium payments on your policy. And when you die, they collect the money. And that's why it has this kind of, you know, morbid market uh, view to it is, you know, people imagine a bunch of, you know, Wall Street bankers uh, rubbing their hands together and, and throwing marbles you know, on the sidewalks of their, of the people that they bought policies from to, 
to see if they they die. But more importantly, there's a lot of use to this because when we look at uh, pension funds, pension funds are just loaded, absolutely loaded with longevity risk. So people are living longer and the majority of pension funds have an obligation to keep funding them no matter how long they live. So if the average life expectancy jumps from 72 to 82, that's an additional 10 years of pressure on a pension fund to keep paying out. And so the way that pension funds in the market was evolving was that with this secondary market, products could develop hedging products, if you will, to, to hedge longevity risk. And that was at the epicenter. That's, that's why we came into the market. And that's why we created an institutional exchange for, for banks and, and insurance companies to package that risk and start evolving a market so that that risk could ultimately be uh, hedged. And that's, uh, that's what we did. It was a very, it was a very unusual, very niche space, um, but incre incredibly interesting and, and really, uh, you know, part of our formative years. Got it. And then how would like, what was like the mechanism? Like were, they, were there these like derivative contracts where they were like, just like, um, or were they back or, or were the pension funds actually buying like insurance on their policy on, on their, um, what's the word I'm looking for on the pensioners or something like that? Like it was, it was just starting to evolve, uh, to the, to the derivative side. There were a couple of derivatives products out there. Um, so if you would think of the, with any derivatives, you need a proper spot cash market, mm -hmm. right? So if you and I are trading oranges, there needs to be a real orange market. Um, if we're trading the S&P 500, there's a real index with real companies underneath that. Um, so you need, you need the physical market first. And so we were the venue for the physical market, which is a physical life insurance policy trading hands from, from the insured or their family, those owners, to an institution. And the derivatives market was was in its early days. In fact, we worked on a lot of the designs there. There were other products too. Banks were uh, securitizing pools of policies and then selling those as as investments. And the investment payout was based on actuarial tables, which was 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 pretty interesting. And there were other investment funds that were in that space as well. Um, but yeah, the derivative market never fully took off. Um, but that was the direction it was heading, and that's what we were that's what we were most interested in in uh, supporting okay that is super cool I, I, that's mm -hmm. it um and on like on that sort of like is hmm i don't think i had i had i had, I had, I had, I had a, an immediate follow-up for that one it's just like now my, my, my brain's just think like imagining mm -hmm. different derivative products um but on that kind of going going back full circle um, mm -hmm. Now that we've gotten to learn a little bit about your past, about, about the technology, about the regulatory side, um, what would you say is sort of the next year out uh, for Coro as far as their plans? And um, what, should, what should people do now? Um, how should they tell their friends about the app? And what happens mm -hmm. if they do tell their friends about the app? <laughs> Things like that. Yeah. So, so working backwards from that, yes, everybody listening, please download our app. Um, if you're listening from a state where we're not yet licensed, um, stay patient. We'll be there soon. You'll be able to, you can sign up on our website and be notified um, when we arrive and, and get our license in, in your state. Um, yeah. What we're seeing is, you know, we've got uh, well over a thousand active customers now and it's, it's, it's humbling to see the, the diversity and just kind of the wide swath of demographics that we have as users. 
we have uh, we have veterans, we have school teachers, we have retirees, we have millennials. I mean, you name it. it it's it's a very 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 diverse uh, set of users, and what we see and, and are proud of. It's the reason we exist. Is that a lot of our users are saving in gold. So we see those patterns where you know it looks like you know they seem they get a paycheck you know twice a month or once a month, and you can see it looks like they're just allocating steadily and, and saving in gold. And we're seeing as well, and this is part of it, the velocity of gold go up, which is again part of why we exist because there's a lot of ways to save gold. You could just buy some online and stick it under your mattress, but now you can do it with the click of a button on our on our app, um, and then you can transact with it. So, for example, in Miami, there's some barber shops that they take their tips in gold. That's that's what they tell their customers. They have the Coro app, and and the the each individual barber says, "Hey, you can tip me in tip me in gold." We've seen personal trainers, you know, requesting that their customers pay them in gold, and and that just delights us. Um, so I I think the things that people can be on the lookout for is the the real a really big catalyst for us is of course when we go international. The, the Miami community, which is, you know, we're headquartered in Miami. And I mean, just in, in Miami-Dade County alone, there's approximately 200,000 Venezuelans. And we, we, you know, we all know, I presume most listeners know about Venezuela's financial uh, crisis, ongoing financial crisis for, for a very long time. And so we're looking forward to getting into these, these more heavily crisis-driven markets and and being a source of, of safety, security, and stability. And those are things that the, a lot of 2022 will be focused on that. Um, so those are exciting things. You know, people doing remittances back home where the, the friction is high. Um, we have a huge focus on, on Latin America since that's such a, a big part of our community in Miami. And it's such a big part of, you know, remittance flow uh, to Latin America is huge. So we, we want to support that and give people a better way where they've got safer savings and and more money in their pocket even when they're transacting between two fiat currencies. So uh, so that's that's what we're really focused on. Okay, super cool. Um, I guess what I'll do is I'll, I'm gonna leave room for you. That's anything you kind of want to leave off with, like what, what where should people go online to to learn more about the company, to learn more sure. about you, and anything uh -huh. else you'd like to kind of put out there. Go for it. Yeah, sure. So so our company is really easy to to find. You're just gonna type in coro.global in in your web browser. So not a .dot com. You know, we're we're trying to be cool and use some of these new uh, domain extensions. So coro.global, C-O-R-O dot G-L-O-B-A-L. Um, I'm easiest to find on uh, on Twitter. I'm not a huge social media guy, but Twitter I've, I've engaged with for a very long time and use that as part of my my job. So easiest way to engage or, or follow me and, and all my crazy thoughts are uh, my handle on Twitter, which is David Dorr, D-A-V-I-D-D-O-R-R. That's how my last name is spelled. And i um, happy to engage with uh, with your listeners or anybody else that's interested in, uh, in what we're up to. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you, David, uh, for coming on the show. So again, that's David Dorr, Coro Global. Go get the app in the iPhone or Android store now. So that way you can go send your friends, your family some gold, okay? And uh, you, you heard about the technology, you heard about the regulatory side. So this is pretty exciting stuff. And uh, David, I'm really glad you were able to come onto the show. And I definitely look forward to having another conversation at some point. Thank you, Alex. Pleasure to be with you here today and uh, look forward to staying in touch. No problem.